on you. Again, we come expectantly to hear a word. We pray that you would open up our understanding, our minds, our hearts and our ears, that we might hear what you have to say. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So, one of the TV shows that Laura and I are big fans of is a TV show called American Ninja Warrior. Anybody else uh, like the show American Ninja Warrior? All right, all right, we're going to watch the finale next year together. It'll be fun. Uh, it's a great show. If you don't know anything about the show, it's, it's basically a series of obstacle courses. And they get increasingly difficult the further that you make it in the competition. And the, the obstacles are so difficult that in 11 seasons, 11 years of this show in America, there have only been three people who have ever completed all the obstacle courses in the allotted time. Spoiler alert, including this past year's winner, Drew Dreschel, who completed the course for the first time someone completed it in about four years. Now, the show went into great detail about all that Drew had done to prepare for winning the show. He had spent the last decade preparing himself for winning this competition. In fact, he used to be a car salesman, sold used cars, and then he decided to change careers. He became a gym owner and began training other ninja warriors and so that he could spend more time working on his craft. And then one of the craziest things that the show uh, told us that he did is that he literally became nocturnal. Because the show is hosted at night. The competition is at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night in Las Vegas. So he said, okay, I want my body to be running at, at peak performance at 11 o'clock at night. So what do I need to do to win the show? I'm going to become nocturnal. So he literally slept through all day and then would wake up and train all through the night. Also, that he could be ready to win this show. Why did Drew want to do that? Because he valued winning American Ninja Warrior, becoming the American Ninja Warrior, more than anything else. He valued it more than his job. He valued it more than money. He valued it more than anything else. He dedicated everything to winning the show. And the question I want you to reflect on this morning is what do you value more than anything else? What is the most important thing in your life? What are you really living for? What is your purpose? Reflect on your time. Reflect on the way you spend your money. Reflect on what you are living for in this life. What are you valuing more than anything else? Because how you answer that question and how you live that question has significance for this life and eternally. And so this morning, we're continuing our sermon series on unlocking the parables. And Jesus tells two short stories that tell us about the value of the kingdom of God. And I want to summarize the points of this. There's really only one point to my sermon, and it's two sentences. The kingdom is so valuable, it will cost everything you have. And the kingdom is so valuable, it is worth giving up everything you have. That's my point today. We talked about how Jesus' main message when he came was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, I'm bringing in a new kingdom with me as the king. By Jesus' life his death and resurrection, he has become the true king of the world. And so the kingdom is the movement of people surrendered to Jesus as the true king, surrendered to him as Lord. And when Jesus is bringing this message, some people begin responding very negatively. They want to kill Jesus. They oppose Jesus. They don't like the message of the kingdom that he's bringing. But some people begin to respond very positively. Why are some people responding positively to Jesus? Because they see the kingdom's value. They see its worth. 
So Jesus tells a story. He says it's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, you need to know that in the ancient world, banks were not very common. You can't go to, you know, First Bank of Bethlehem and deposit your check. Uh, that wasn't a thing. So it was actually very common for people to bury their valuables in the ground. That was one of the ways that uh, they stored their valuables. In fact, sometimes they would do this, especially in the threat of war. They would hide their valuables and hope to come back, but sometimes they wouldn't make it back. And so the owners of the, of the land would exchange hands maybe multiple times, and so you could be the owner of a land and have no idea that there is treasure buried there because if somebody else hid it you know, a generation ago. So treasure that is hidden in the field was actually very common in the ancient world. And so the man in the story, he's evidently hired by somebody to work in a field, and he's digging around, and all of a sudden... He stumbles upon this treasure. And so he buries it, quickly buries it, and so, he can, so he can go by the field. Now, I want to point out to you that the kingdom of God is at first not obvious. It's not obvious. It's hidden in the ground. You could be looking in the field and you don't see it. And so Jesus said it's, a, it's like a treasure that's hidden. In other parables we've talked about, he said it's like a small seed that's growing. Or it's like leaven mixed in the dough. It's, it's a hidden thing. It's not obvious at first. And us humans, we're, we're kind of blind to the kingdom of God for several reasons. Uh, one of which is spiritual warfare. The enemy of God, Satan, is at work, blinding the minds of humans so that we cannot see it. And the second reason, is kind of maybe somewhat obvious and not obvious, is that it's, it's a heavenly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. There, there is not a literal throne in the world where you can go visit Jesus sitting on the throne and say, okay, there, there's where Jesus is ruling and reigning. No, you can't go and visit that. It's a spiritual reality. So we cannot see it with the human eye at first, so it's not obvious. And so this is why when people finally see the kingdom, this is how they describe it. It's like I was totally blind. It's like I was totally blind and now I can see something for the very first time. It's like I was lost and I had no idea where I was going and boom, all of a sudden, I realized I'm found by God. So the man is not even looking for the treasure. He stumbles across it, and when he finds it, he immediately recognizes the value of it. So he hides it, and in his joy, it's his joy to do it, he sells all he has to buy that field, knowing that the exchange was completely worth it. Because it's so valuable. Why is Jesus' kingdom so valuable? Oh my goodness, we could spend a whole sermon series just on that question, couldn't we? That describes the whole Christian life. But let me remind you this morning of, of just a few reasons that doesn't nearly describe its worth. But one reason is that the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, all are invited in. And this was very, not very common in the ancient world. But they said one of the, the strangest things about the church is that it was the only place where men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, could all gather in one spot and be united. All are invited in, no matter their background, no matter their sin, no matter where they come from, no matter their status, all are invited. Humanity is invited in. And then we also, when we're invited, we get to have a personal relationship with the king of the universe. Okay, if that wasn't enough for you right there. And then in the kingdom, all your sin, past, present, and future, is covered by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We're reconciled to God in this kingdom. And then in this kingdom, you receive the Holy Spirit of God inside you to guide you, to comfort you, and to lead you into all the truth. 
you gain brothers and sisters from around the world. You are set free from sin, from shame, and from fear. You are given peace beyond your understanding, and you are given the hope of eternity with God forever. How much is that worth? Could you put a price on the kingdom of God? You can't put a price on that. It's, it's worth more than anything this world could offer you. The kingdom is so valuable. Its cost is everything you have, and it's so valuable, it is worth giving up everything you have to find it. It's worth everything. So the man, in his joy, he's glad to do it. He sells all he has to buy the field. So the people who truly see the, the kingdom of God, they say, wow, how lucky I am. I, I've stumbled upon something that I couldn't have made myself. I couldn't have earned my way to it. I couldn't have even dreamed this up. I am the luckiest person alive because I have received, I have entered into the kingdom of God. How lucky I am. I've stumbled upon a treasure. And Jesus tells a second story. He says, again, the kingdom's like a merchant looking for pearls, for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, in the ancient world, pearls outranked everything of value. They were more valuable than gold, more valuable than silver, more valuable than any kind of ruby or jewel. They were the most valuable thing. And this merchant, he is looking for very fine pearls. He is seeking something specific. And in his search, he finds a pearl that outranks them all. In other words, this is the most valuable thing that you could find in the ancient world. It's worth more than anything that he has come across. And so the merchant, what does he do? He decides to liquidate his assets. He decides to sell the farm. He sells everything he has in order to get this pearl. You see, for the merchant, everything in his life had to change in order to get that pearl. By selling off everything, he can no longer even be a merchant. He has nothing left to trade or to sell. He's given up his search for other pearls. He has sold off his collection. His whole life has been transformed. I like what biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine, she says this, the merchant has reconceptualized both his past values and his future plans. The magnitude of the life change is paramount. He is no longer what he was. His life has been turned upside down. It's been totally transformed. And when you discover the joy and value of the kingdom, it will turn your life upside down. Buyer beware. It turns our lives upside down. Now, the merchant is also interesting to me because he had many other things of value. He had other fine pearls, other assets, other, other trinkets he might try to sell at the market. But the pearl that he found was worth more than everything that he had combined. And that's how valuable the kingdom is. If you could imagine all the wealth you could ever want, all the things you could ever desire, all the experiences you could ever dream of having, if you added up all the pleasures and splendors of this world and you, you put it into one pot, the kingdom of God would still be worth more than that. It's worth more than all of it. All the world combined, it's worth more. The kingdom is so valuable. It costs everything you have. But it's so valuable, it is worth giving up everything for this is what happened to the Apostle Paul. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul was a human being just like us. He was a man just like I am. Wasn't a, wasn't a superhero. He was trying to be a good Pharisee. He was trying to keep God's laws as perfectly as he could. Possibly trying to gain his own salvation or find meaning in life. But then Jesus Christ. 
met him on the road to Damascus, and his whole life was turned upside down. Paul had to leave everything about his former way of life, everything he had previously thought, everything he had previously believed and taught others to do, every status that he had gained in Judaism, he had to leave all of that, and I bet you he must have alienated so many former friends and family members by his decision to follow Christ. Remember, he was imprisoning people for following Jesus, and now he becomes a follower of Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul will later go on to say this. Maybe he's in prison in Philippi, and he's reflecting on his life and all the things he's had to give up, and he says this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. This man is writing this from prison. Paul let go of everything in order to gain the one thing, in order to gain Christ. And he looked upon everything that he had left, and he says, you know what? It's a loss in comparison to the greatness of knowing Christ. We too must count the cost. We too must count the cost. Jesus told two other short parables about counting the cost. It's called the parable of the tower builder and the parable of the warring king. And you, you heard it this morning in the scripture reading. He says, uh, you know, one, one's going to want to build a tower, but if you, you might not have enough money to complete it. So you better consider the cost before you get into this endeavor. And then he talks about a king who's preparing for war, and won't the king first sit down and consider whether he can win? It would be foolish not to. And then he concludes these stories by saying, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That's the cost. You must calculate it up. You have to add it up. You have to consider. Grace and salvation is free. It's a free gift of God, but it costs a whole life commitment. It's a call to give up everything we have in order to gain Christ. When I told a few members of our church, Heather and Steve Carlson, that I had this crazy idea, I think it was a God idea, and I said, I'd like to run the Chicago Marathon. I'd like, and I'd like Heather to be my coach and Heather to help me and help, help me raise some funds and, and, and do this. And we're, we're sitting across the dinner table, and basically they, they turn to me and Laura and they say, well, have you considered how much is, this is going to cost you? This is going to be a big sacrifice in your life. This is going to cost you time. This is going to cost you energy. This is going to cost you resources. And then they turned to Laura and they, they, they said, do you know that you, Laura, are going to have to sacrifice to help Nate finish the marathon? That Nate's going to come home on a Saturday after a long run. He's going to be tired. He's going to need a nap. And you're going to be stuck, you know, caring for Daisy and doing the house while Nate's napping. Have you considered the cost that this is going to be in your life? And so we thought about it for a while. And we came back to them and we said, you know what, yes, we want to do this. Because we see the value that this would bring to kids around the world. We see the value that it would be in our lives. We see the value it would be for my, my physical and emotional health. We see the value of what this would bring. So yes, even in spite of the cost, we will do it. And you know what? Jesus was always giving people the same talk that Heather and Steve gave us. Have you considered the cost of what it means to be my disciple? Have you considered that it's going to cost you your whole life? Don't be like the, the king who went to war without counting the cost. Don't be like the person who went to build the tower and didn't make sure that they could finish it. No, count the cost. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In Mark 8, he says in a different way. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? It says if the whole world were added up, it would not be worth it. And whatever else you're pursuing in the world, it is not worth it in comparison with what it means to live for Jesus in his kingdom. So what are you pursuing this morning? If it's not Christ in his kingdom, it's going to come at the expense of your soul. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is what you're pursuing worth it? So what is the cost of following Jesus? What is the cost? When we commit our lives to Jesus, I believe it's both a moment of radical surrender and a series of ongoing commitments, ongoing moments where we die to ourselves and live for Jesus Christ our whole life long. You know, I think about it like a wedding. You know, in the traditional liturgy, it says, you know, will, will, will you forsake all others as you commit yourself to your husband or wife? Do you forsake all others? In other words, will you take everybody in the universe off the menu, off the table, any other person, will you not pursue them? Will you not lay the, desire them? Will you not lay your affections upon them? Will you devote yourself to this one forever? You say, yes, I do. I do because I see the worth of my spouse. I see the value of what this is in my life. Of course, I would say yes. And then from that moment on, it's a series of ongoing commitments, ongoing decisions to carry out that commitment. I think following Jesus is just like that. I believe all Christians need a moment, whether you grew up in the church or not. I think we all need a moment in our lives where we say yes to God. Yes, God, I will enter your kingdom. I will make Jesus, I will make you my Lord and my King, and I will devote my life to your kingdom's work. And then from that moment on, we have ongoing opportunities to live this commitment out. I'll give you one example from my life where I had this happen to me. And uh, I'm no Eric Little, as uh, Wendy talked about this morning, uh, but I was a pretty good runner uh, back in my day in high school. All right? I was actually pretty good. And then coming into my junior year, I was having a breakout summer. I was running. We were one of the top teams in the state. And uh, we had won the state title a few years back. And we had, we had a great program. And I was having a breakout summer. And I was running with our, our top four guys, our varsity guys. And, I, and that summer, I was working so hard. I, had, I was devoting my life to becoming the best that I could possibly be. In fact, I, we would work out very hard in the morning. And I would come home and I would, do, I would lift weights and do other stuff on my own so that I could get better. I was having a breakout summer, and in fact, I was named co-captain of the team, which isn't something you often get as a junior. And so we were, we were excited. We thought, if we have this core of five guys, we might win the state title again this year. That would be a great thing. And I don't know how to explain it to you, I, and I, I, I struggle with the words for this. There wasn't, there, it was, there wasn't an audible voice, but there was an overwhelming feeling that came in my life that God was calling me to give up running. I was like, what? What? I, how, at this point, and, and I can't, again, I can't explain it to you, but the call was running is becoming an idol in your life. I want, Nate, I want you to invest in your church, in your youth group. I want you to serve. I want you to mentor others. And for some strange reason, I want you to learn guitar, which I didn't know how to play really at the time. And like, it was all of that all at once. And, that, and it, I knew it was the Lord. And so I, I reflected on this for a little bit. But I eventually, right before the fall season started, I quit. I quit the team. My coach was extremely frustrated. My teammates were so upset that they didn't talk to me for about eight or nine months. These, these were some of my closest friends in high school. They didn't talk to me. They, sh they basically shunned me and kept me out of their life. 
But you know what? I count it all as loss in comparison to the greatness for what Jesus Christ has called me to. That one decision in my life is the reason I believe that I'm in ministry today. It's the reason that I've been able to use the gifts of, of, of mentoring and, and ministry and guitar to lead other people in worship into Christ. And honestly, it is the reason I am still following Jesus today. Because I believe if I had not quit at that moment, I would have let running take over my life. I would have let it take over my life. I probably gave up a college scholarship, probably gave up a lot of money. But you know what? It is a loss in comparison to what Jesus has called me to do in my life. I'm sure some of you have stories too. Jesus has called you to give up things, make sacrifices. And I'd love for us to share that together in our community groups later on today. But the reality is, you are either going to be like the one who is wise and builds their life on Jesus Christ, builds their life on a sure foundation, or you will be foolish and build your life on something of this world, something in the sand, and it will not last. I like what Charles Spurgeon says, If you must have the world, you cannot have Christ. He that has Christ must give to Christ himself and all that he has. Whatever he possesses of talent, whatever substance he owns, he looks upon as nothing, as being of his own, but all as belonging to his master. And he is prepared to use all for his master's glory and depart with it all, if it so were needful for the maintenance of his master's kingdom. Who would gladly give it all away for the building up of the kingdom of God. You know, I didn't necessarily plan it this way when I designed this sermon series, but I think it's so meaningful that, this, that, these, that this, these parables are coming after what you heard Gene Frost preach on last week. And if you weren't here, he preached about the lost coin, the lost uh, sheep, and the lost son. And the parables about how much God values you, how much God the Father wants to be reconciled to you, how much he has pursued you in order to, to be in relationship with you once again. And God values us so much that he would do anything to be united with us. He sent his son to die upon the cross so that you could be reconciled to him. You see, God wants us to value him the way he values you in your salvation. He wants you to value him in his kingdom as much as he has valued and pursued you. And how much did he value you? More than anything. He sent his son to die so that you could be reconciled to him. The kingdom is so valuable, it will cost everything you have but it is so valuable, it is worth giving up everything you have. Now I know for most of us, we have made the commitment. We've said, yes, God, I will make you my king, I will make you my Lord, I will devote my life to your work. But we need help in continuing in that commitment, continuing in this relationship to which we've committed. So I want to give you a few things that will help all of us this morning. Number one, one thing we can do is we need to worship and meditate on Jesus. We need to worship and meditate on Jesus. That's why I started this, uh, our worship this morning with Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not the worth and value of God and his kingdom. Forget it not, dear Christian. It is so valuable. It is so worth everything you could give it. And praise and worship and meditation, these are things that help us not forget that help us really value God the way that we ought. Because we are so prone to forget all that God has done for us and who he is. And for some of you this morning, I want to remind you, some of you, you have, you have served Christ so faithfully over many decades. You've sacrificed in so many ways. And I want to remind you this morning that it is worth it. 
it is worth it. When, when Jesus' disciples, they were wondering, is, is this going to be worth it all, Lord? We've left everything to follow you. He reminded them, and he essentially said, don't worry about that. You will be repaid a hundredfold in this life and the one to come for what you've given up for me. And I want to remind you that it is, the kingdom of God is worth everything you could give it. All the sleep you might give up, all the time you might devote, all the money you might give away, it is worth it. And it will be repaid in this life and the one to come. The second thing that we can do is we, we make all of life, all of life, about Christ and his kingdom. You know, I think when we hear these, these amazing calls that Jesus gives about surrendering everything, we begin to immediately ask, well, how does that apply to me? How does that apply in my daily living, in my life, in the job that I have? And I, and I think we need to begin to radically rethink how we can do everything that we are called to do as an act of worship and the furtherance of God's kingdom. So how can you make everything you do, your job, your home life, your hobbies, your free time, how can you make all of that about Christ and his kingdom? And if you ask the Lord for help, I believe he will help you. Because I don't know your situation, I don't know your context, but Jesus will help you in this. And I think that as you begin to do this, you'll begin to see everything you do as a part of God's kingdom work. You know, there's the famous story of the, the three people who are laying bricks. And uh, someone goes up to the first person laying bricks, say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm laying some bricks down. And he goes up to the second person, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building a wall. And then they go up to the third person laying bricks, he says, what are you doing? Oh, I am building a magnificent temple. The difference is the perspective. God often calls us to ordinary things, small things, small things in our lives, small acts of obedience, and all of it is part of building his kingdom. And we have to have the perspective that all of life is a part of our worship and sacrifice unto God. And the final thing I want to invite all of us to do is to renounce any hindrance to our commitment to Christ and his kingdom. Renounce any hindrance to Christ and his kingdom. I want to continue the running analogy that's been part of this whole service. Didn't plan it that way. But Hebrews 12 says, Let us throw every, everything that hinders, let us throw it off in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you've, ever, if you've ever run before, you know that any extra weight is a big hindrance. I'm dealing with that in my own life. There's a lot of extra weight as a big hindrance I'm trying to get rid of. But we have to get rid of that. And this is any hindrance in our life we have to get rid of. And this is part of the cost. Jesus doesn't call us only to renounce sin. He also calls us to renounce anything. Anything that might hinder us in our commitment to him. That's the high call. So we have to ask. We have to ask ourselves, how much is Jesus and his kingdom worth it to us? Will we remove any hindrance? This is kind of somewhat indirectly related, but it really impacted this me, me this week. And, I, and, I, and maybe it will impact you because it's just a different way of thinking about it. Um, a preacher that I follow, uh, follow sometimes is uh, named Andy Stanley. And uh, he, he posted a picture on his social media this week. And he was at a, a youth conference, and he uh, posted a picture of, of, of all these high school youth gathered. It was several hundred students. And he simply said in the picture, how much is the faith of the next generation worth? That's all he said. And the picture of that and the question just so moved me. And my immediate response was, oh my gosh, it's worth everything. It's worth everything. The faith of the next generation, that is worth everything. I mean, Andy Stanley, he's a busy guy. The fact that he's, he's here, this is probably a big sacrifice in his part. But of course, it's worth everything. 
And in the same way, the kingdom of God, everything that God is doing, both in now and in generations to come, it is worth everything that we might give to it. So remove any hindrance. Remove any hindrance to that commitment. So ask yourself, what is hindering your walk with Jesus right now? What is hindering your commitment to his kingdom? What is hindering your growth in Christ? What is hindering your joy and your experience in the spiritual life with God? For some of you, you may need to quit something. You may not need to do anything else, but you just may need to quit something. Because it's, it's taking a piece of your heart. It's, it's a lesser pearl that you're pursuing. It's a lesser treasure that you're pursuing. And it's getting in the way of what Christ and his kingdom are calling you to do. You see, the kingdom, it's not just something that we should get around to when we have the chance. No, we, we go in now because we see the value of it. I, I started this sermon with an analogy about sports, and I want to finish it with one more about running. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Everything else in this life that you could pursue is a temporary crown, but the crown that God will give us is a crown that will last forever, more valuable than anything. The value of the kingdom is worth way more than what athletes compete for. It's worth devoting our lives to. So brothers and sisters, devote your lives. Devote your lives to Christ and his kingdom. Remove anything that might hinder you. And I believe you will experience a joy and a peace beyond understanding as Christ fills your life, as the Holy Spirit moves you into doing amazing things beyond what you can imagine. I believe you will see God move in a big way when you commit yourself to Christ like this. Now this morning I want to invite Matthias and the team up because I want you to give you a moment to reflect on your commitment to Christ and his kingdom. And they're going to sing a song about that, and partway through, they're going to invite you to, to stand and sing with them. But reflect on what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do right now. And don't let that moment pass away. Talk to Jesus about it. And ask him to help you follow him in this way.